we are uh, kind of getting back to continuing our series we started this year. Uh, we've called the books, the books, and the reason we're calling it the books is because that's what the word Bible means. So I want to remind you, since we've had a couple weeks off from this topic, uh, the word Bible means books. And that's important to understand because sometimes we just think of the Bible as a, just one big book, which we can then just say, well, the Bible says, which is oftentimes those are dangerous words to begin with, applied wrongly and out of context even. But the Bible is a bunch of books. Actually, the Bible, as we call the Bible, is two collections of books. It's, it's the first collection is what we call the Hebrew Scriptures. It's the story of a nation. It's the story of, of a group of people. Uh, God began a nation with. It's their ancestry. It's their, it's their challenges, their, their laws when they began a nation, their, their rulers, their, their adventures. And then the second collection of books is the Christian scriptures, the story of Jesus and his life, and then the history of the early church that, that started in his name after his resurrection. And then, of course, the correspondence letters between some of the founders and the apostles. And so you have these two collections of books, 66 in total, 39 and 27, that make up what we call to the Bible and we, we carry around with us today. Now, here's what I want to say. We began a journeying through the Bible or through the books, and we started with the Hebrew Scriptures because they came first chronologically. And a couple of weeks ago, we, we left off with the finishing of the Israelites coming out of the wilderness, out of the slavery in Egypt, into the wilderness where they struggled in their ability to trust God and ended up um, staying in the wilderness for 40 years until the next generation grew up before entering the promised land. And then we took a couple of weeks break, as we said we would do along the way, and today we're getting back into it. Now, when we left off, we talked about Moses' death, Moses' death and uh, Joshua was appointed to be his successor. And so as we're going to talk about Joshua a little bit, I want to remind you his, a little bit of what we know about him so far. Joshua, so far, here's what we know. He was up in the mountain. He was up in the mountain with, the, um, with Moses as Moses was given the commandments. Remember, Moses would, was, was meeting with God to just help establish a system of laws, a system of governance for a group of people that were enslaved for 400 years, never had to govern themselves, just do what they were told, right? And as they came out of slavery, and they now suddenly have to figure out how to operate, Moses is meeting with God and coming down, and here's laws to live by, civil laws, you know, moral laws, judicial principles, health, health laws, all sorts of things. And so when, when Moses would go in the mountain, Joshua would go partway up with him and be closer than anyone else to the presence of God. And then we also saw in the stories that when God would come, they had a special tent down in the camp. They called it the tabernacle. It was not like the tents that people would stay in. It was a, a, a house of meeting that was portable where they would come to worship God. And in the tabernacle, there were a lot of furnitures and furnishings. We not, we've not gotten into those details. Some people love to discuss that stuff and some don't. But in, in the tabernacle was the place where they would come and make their sacrifices and make atonement with God. And inside the tabernacle was a most holy place where they had uh, only the, a certain priest could go at certain times. And in there was a, a, a box they called the Ark of the Covenant, which contained some very important artifacts 
of their faith journey so far. No one could even touch that thing. When they moved it, they had to put poles through these openings on the edges, and four people would carry one end of each pole just to walk around with it. But this was, these, were, these were the things where it meant God's presence. So in the tabernacle, Moses would go in there sometimes, and God would descend in a cloud on the tabernacle and talk with Moses. Then, when Moses would leave and would go out and talk to the people, Joshua, who would go in with him, would stay behind to be in the presence of God. So we pointed those things out briefly weeks and weeks ago so you could see that Joshua had a passion to be close to the presence of God. He was a protege of Moses who trained him as a young man. We also saw that, that Joshua, we barely mentioned this, Joshua was kind of the military general. They had a lot of military battles that we didn't even study in those years in the wilderness. And whenever they went to battle, Joshua kind of became the military commander. And also, this one more thing we saw, is that Joshua was one of 12 spies, one spy from each tribe, who was sent into the land of Canaan, the promised land that God had promised their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, hundreds of years earlier, the promised land. Before they went in, they sent spies in to check it out, one from each tribe. And 10 spies came back and said, it looks great, but it's just too hard. We can't do it. Two spies came back and said, we got this. Let's go. But the people who had a very victim mindset and couldn't just believe that, that God would take care of them, they decided we're not going in, even though these two people gave a good report. And we told you that the two spies that went in and gave a good report were Joshua and one other person. Does anyone remember the name of the other person? Joshua and Caleb, right? Joshua and Caleb. And so they came back and God said, fine, this generation is going to live all your years in the wilderness You're going to be out here for 40 more years until this entire generation passes away. I'm not going to kill you now. I'm just going to let you live your life out here, but you're never going to get to go in there because you just don't have a a, a faith or trusting mindset that I can take care of you. But your kids are going to grow up, and they're going to be ready to go in and do what you wouldn't do. And so as he said this, he said, the only two people from this generation who I'm going to keep alive an extra long time, vibrantly alive still, will be Joshua and Caleb. So sure enough, 40 years passed, the generation rose up, Moses even dies. Moses appoints Joshua to be the successor to take them into the promised land. And Joshua was an obvious choice for all the reasons we just mentioned. But one reason in particular was because he was the military leader. And guess what's going to happen in the promised land? A lot of war, a lot of battles. And so you want to have your military guy, right? So, so Joshua is in charge of the nation as Moses dies. And that's where we left off last time. Let's jump into the book of Joshua, and we'll begin with the very first verse of the first chapter. Joshua 1.1. After the death of Moses, the, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. And can you imagine how, how reassuring and helpful it was for, for, for Joshua to hear from God because he has got to be terrified. I know, I know that he, look, I know that he was a man of faith. He showed that all the way through the last 40 years. But still, there's a vacuum. Moses is gone. There's always that safety net. I know God was in control, but sometimes it's nice to have someone with some skin on them. That person was Moses, and Moses is gone. And so God appears to to Joshua and says to him in verse 2, he said, Moses My servant is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, 
across the Jordan River into the land that I am giving them. So here's the deal. Moses is dead. Here's what God's saying. Moses is dead, but I am not. Moses is dead, but I am not. We got this. I've put you here. Let's go ahead. He says in verse 3, I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land that I have given you. And so God is reassuring Joshua because you, and you can see it in these verses and the verses that follow. Moses is gone and Joshua is in charge and he's ready to go marching on in. But he's afraid. And you can see it in these verses. He's a little bit afraid. And God's like, Moses is dead, but I'm not. But I think Joshua is wrestling a little bit, a little bit, with this question that, that many of us could wrestle with, this, this thought that says, God, I, I don't doubt you, God. I doubt me. I don't doubt you, God. You've been around. I've never doubted you. I've always believed. I was the one that said, let's go. I was the one that said, let's push forward. God, I don't doubt you. I doubt me. Like, you could do anything, and you could use Moses, but Moses is gone. I'm not Moses. I am not Moses, okay? And so maybe I'm the weak link of this thing you're trying to do. And I, I think if God was wanting to, he could have said here, it's a funny thing to say. Because I had the same conversation 40 years ago with Moses when he believed that he couldn't possibly do what I called him to do. And he argued with me. And I know that it's easy for us in life to believe that we don't have what it takes to do the things God calls us to do. So God decides to establish that he's with Joshua. We continue the story in verse 5. He says, No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. And then in verse 6, he says, Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. For you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors that I would give them. And I love that because what we have going on here is the idea that God is saying, you can't do it without me, that I'm with you, but also you're the one I've equipped. You're the one I've made. You're the one I've put in this role. And I feel like I've been around long enough to see there's a lot of people in life who are self-sufficient. I don't need God or anybody. And then there are those of us who probably, especially in faith, who are like, I am worthless and nothing, and it's all God. And that's true in a certain sense. Without God, we can do nothing. Couldn't get out of bed this morning. You know, you know. But, but here's the thing. When God made you and he chooses to give you life and a new day, he gives you not only the strength, but your giftings and your opportunities and so I, I feel like if you're not careful, we'll get into a spot where we can either be self-sufficient or too self-deprecating. God says to Joshua, you are the one. Now look, you, it's, it's me. I'm the one who's with you. But I put you who, where you are. I made you who you are. You got this. You're the one who's going to get the job done. I'll be with you. So step up. Be strong and be courageous. And then in the next verse here, be strong and very courageous, he says in verse 7. Same exact words. He's repeating himself. Why would he repeat himself? Uh, I don't know. You ever have to hear something more than once to believe it? Okay, moms and dads. Have you ever had to tell your kids the same thing more than one time? Don't answer that. We know the answer. Um, be strong and very courageous, he says. Be careful. And I love what he does here. He pivots. Be careful to obey all the instructions that Moses gave you. 
Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. And what he's saying is, look, I met with Moses, and we, and we put the, the playbook together. This is how to govern a nation of people who never governed themselves in slavery. These are the laws. This is how you're going to settle things. This is how you're going to march forward. How are you going to practice your faith? How are you going to deal with your civil issues? This is a winning recipe. And you're about to enter a land of people who have just you know, abandoned all sense of morality. They are in the, the worst forms of idolatry. They are, their nations have denigrated themselves so bad and between child sacrifice and obscene, uh, terrible living that they've weakened themselves so terribly they're about to be done for. But this is the playbook. Live by faith. Keep your relationship with God. Deal with your civil matters and judicial matters the right way. Moses gave you the playbook. So Joshua, here's the thing. You can worry all you want to about are you the right person, can you do the job, but take that energy and focus on knowing exactly the instructions I've given you to Moses to give to you. Because that's the secret. He said, if you'll do that, then you'll be successful in everything that you do. He continues in verse 8. He says, study this book of instruction continually. To study it, to put your energy into that. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. So this is the secret sauce right here. You've been handed the right tools. Follow my plan and it's going to work out. And Joshua knew that, but he said, you know, this is what you need to pivot from. Can I do the job to what is God asking from me? And then in verse 9, he repeats himself a third time. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He repeats that part too. He was assuring him. And I, I just think that today, I know that for some of us, we're, we're in a spot in our life where we're like, Arlen, I'm not Joshua. In fact, as far as I know, none of us have been asked to literally lead a group of people out of bondage and into a new land. If you are called to do that, please let me know so I can be praying for you. That's probably not your story exactly, but you know, you are in a place God's placed you. And you're facing battles in front of you. You're facing challenges and a calling that God has put on your life. And I don't know what exactly that looks like for you, but I know that sometimes we're in the same boat of saying, I don't doubt you, God, I doubt me. So I want to say this to all of us today, and that is this. Listen, be strong and courageous, for God is with you. As you live your life, as you live the life that God has called you, as you live in your calling, in the place, and the people that God has put you with and around, step into that with strength and with courage, that you're not walking alone. And that's all you need. And someone today needs to hear that. And I'm, I don't know what that looks like for you, but be strong. And be courageous. Because God is with you. We're going to skip chapter 2 because in the second chapter we have a story that I... We're going to kind of do Joshua in just one week here. Sorry, Joshua. But there's a story in... A, in chapter 2 and, and a little bit later that I think is encouraging and in, informative to us. We're going to come back to a different week. So skipping ahead, in chapter 3, verse 7, the Lord told Joshua, Today I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. They will know that I am with you, just as I was with Moses. In other words, here's what God says to him. 
I told you to be strong and courageous because I'm with you. Now I'm going to tell all the other people I'm with you like I was with Moses. They're all going to get the same message. And here's how. He says, give this command to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. Now, I got to pause to give you some context. 40 years earlier, when the previous generation was supposed to go in, but they didn't have a mindset of trusting God to, to give them that victory, they ended up, um, they were going to enter from a different spot. It was kind of a mountainous area they were going to enter. They didn't, uh, they didn't go that way. And they didn't go at all. They ended up staying for 40 more years until their kids grew up and took the initiative. But as this generation is getting ready to go in, they're coming in at a different spot. They're at the edge of the Jordan River. There's a problem. The Jordan River was not the little creek out back of your house that, you know, this is like the Jordan River. This is, the, I'm, how are we going to get across this thing? And God says, take the priest and get to the edge of the Jordan River. Go back here. Um, and tell them to take a few steps into the river and stop there. Huh. This is starting to sound familiar. If you were with us way back when, when they came out of Egypt, God brought them out of slavery. He brought them to the edge of the Red Sea. Their enemies pursued them. They were afraid. And God says, watch. And he has Moses lift his hands and he parted the Red Sea. They walked across on dry ground. God drowns their enemies behind them. So that was, that was something that this generation wasn't, most of them were not alive to see it or they were very young. So maybe they were teenagers or little children or babies or not even born yet, but they know the story. And God says to Joshua, I'm going to show the people that I'm with you the same way. So we're going to cross the Jordan. Now the Jordan's not, the river is not the Red Sea. It's not as vast and big as the Red Sea in one sense. But in another sense, it's a flowing river. The currents and it's dangerous. And so this is insurmountable. And God says, we're going to cross this baby right here, right now. So he says, tell them to take a few steps into the river and stop there. Verse 14, the people left their camp to cross the Jordan, and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing its banks, so the water's rough. The water's rough. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water, as soon as their feet touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam near Zarathon. And the water below that point flowed onto the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. And all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. And we're not going to talk about Jericho today because it's part of the other story that I think we're going to talk, come back to later. But what I want you to see in this part of the story is they crossed the Jordan, much like they crossed the Red Sea. But in this particular case, God told them, start walking across. And as they did, he parted the waters. And it's interesting because, you know, it would be easy for them to sit there and say, God, the water's in the way. God says, start walk, take a few steps in. Um, why? The water's in the way. I know, take a few steps in. God, if you'll part the waters, we'll step in. And God's like, no, if you'll step in, I'll part the waters. No, no, no. Okay, let me explain this to you again, God, because you're not listening. If you'll part the waters, we'll step in. I said, no, 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 you're not listening. If you'll step in, I'll part the waters. I heard a phrase when I was a teenager that stuck with me all the last 30, something, don't ask me how old I am, a long time now. And the phrase was, waters never part until your feet get wet. That's what happens here in the story, that these people, God says, go forward. I, look, I've told you what to do, trust me. 
Trust me and step forward. And so they're at the water's edge saying, what do we do? Step in. And as soon as their feet, it says, touched the water. What do you know? And I don't know where in life someone in this room may be yet. You might be in a spot where you're sitting there saying, God, if you'll make my path easy, if you'll take away all my obstacles, then I'll trust you. I'll follow you if you'll make the road so smooth and easy that I can't possibly miss it. And God might just be saying to you, you step forward where I've called you. You step into what I've called you to. And then I'll part the waters. And I know we want him to do all the work ahead of time. We want no uncertainty. We want no challenges. But, but, but hear me today. Waters might not part until your feet get wet. So trust the Lord and step forward. Now, what's happened is this. From there, and we're not going to tell the military conquest. I'll give you a quick, just a quick flash through a couple key moments. They take on Jericho and they win. They come, to, they come to a conflict with the city of Ai, and they think they're going to win, but they lose. They get their tails handed to them. So then they regroup and figure out why they lost, and there was, you know, they have to deal with, with, with uh, failures and, and, and sin in their own ranks, and they got to figure out what, what went wrong. Then they come back, and this time they have victory in Ai. Then, from there, they, uh, people from Gibeon come by, nearby, and make a treaty with them because they were afraid of the Israelites, and the Israelites were not supposed to do this, but they didn't really ask God, and they made an ill-advised treaty of peace, a peace relationship with this, these people from Gibeon, who then freaked everyone else out around them, and those people came down and said, oh no, um, if, if those folks made peace with Israel, what are we going to do? So they all got together, a bunch of nations and cities got together with their soldiers, and they decided to all form a massive army because they, they didn't want to face Israel one at a time. They said, let's just all attack them and wipe these new people out real fast. And they did, and it would have been intimidating and overwhelming, but God gave the victory. And as bad as that battle would have seemed to be, it was kind of a blessing in disguise because it got a lot of the conflict that they were going to face anyhow done in one huge battle. But all the battles weren't done. There were still enemies everywhere. They still had, they still had conflict wherever they went. They still had war. And this went on and on and on for the next several years. And I just skipped all the cool stories, and I didn't even refer to a few of them. And I know that's a bummer for some of us guys. In this, but not, not just the guys, some of the girls too, but I don't know, stereotypically, some of the guys are like, Arlen, you skipped all the war stories of Moses' generation, and now you're skipping all the war stories of Joshua. Those are the best stories, you know. It's like if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, right, and you like to watch that, you know, probably some of you guys, you're not looking to watch, you know, Frodo and Sam have a special moment of friendship. You want to see the battle going on, you know. That's the point, isn't it? And so here we are skipping all the military excursions. We're skipping all the wars and the adventures. But, but here's my, my answer to you. You should read your Bible. You should open up the Hebrew Scriptures. You should open up the book of Joshua and read them for yourself because they're all right there. And trust me, the book is better than the movie. So here's the deal. Um, that's available. But, but just getting to where we're going today, what they do is they have to fight their way through. They have to fight their way through. One, and here's what I want to say. I don't know, you know, as we prepare, as we pray through these stories, I always, wanted, I always wanted to be led by God's Spirit. And here's what I want to say to somebody today. As you read their stories and their fate, what they face and their conquests and their challenges, this is true about them and it may be true for you today. And that is this, that God promised the victory, but it still had to be won. One battle at a time. That before they entered that land, God said it's going to be yours. But they still had to face each battle. God promised the victory, but it still had to be won. 
And it wasn't just done at one moment. It was done one battle at a time. And again, I know sometimes it's easy to say, well, I thought I knew what God called me to. I thought I knew what he was doing. I thought I knew it was right. I thought if I did the right thing, it would turn out. I thought that God promised that if I did right, he would honor and bless that in some way in, in this life, or the, you know, in, in maybe in a different way than I wanted, but that God is trustworthy to give the victory and to tr- take care of me as I follow him. But the problem is, is that it got hard. It got hard all of a sudden. And I know, I, I get that. But sometimes when God promises the victory, he still wants you to go have to face the battles. And you still got to fight them. If you're discouraged today because it's not easy, it wasn't promised to be easy. You just were promised that by God's power you'd overcome. That you'd find victory, that it would work out. And sometimes it's just done one battle at a time. You might, here, here's some bad news. You get through this one or just got through a battle, another one might be coming. That's just how it goes sometimes. That's life. But the victory's there. And that's how they won their victory. Well, we're going to skip ahead in the story. I'm going to tell you something else about Joshua, the book of Joshua. It's, it's great, but it's also got a lot of boring parts too. And I'm going to be the pastor. I know I do this sometimes. You can't say the, 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 the minister say the Bible is boring. There are parts of the Bible that are just like, oh, okay. This person begat that person, and this person inherited this piece of land, and just like list and list and list. So I know some people love, like, I read every word. I read every word many times through. I've done that, and I, and I can, will continue to do so. But it's just not always the most interesting reading. The battle parts are cool. The stories are fun. But Joshua's got some parts of lists, and lists and lists and lists. We're going to skip all that too. But I want to go to one more story before we get to the end of Joshua so two more stories. Uh, the first one is it deserves to be given some attention because it's about that other person from the previous generation. That other person who, with Joshua, trusted God when they first spied out the land and everyone else said, we can't go in, but they said, no, we can. God's got this. And so God said, you're going to die in the wilderness over the next 40 years and your kids will grow up and, and trust me and, and go into the promised land. Except two people will live from the previous generation and be strong enough to be a part of the conquest. And we just mentioned them earlier. It was Joshua and Caleb. So what happened to Caleb? Well, he deserves his moment. Joshua 14 and verse 6. It says, A delegation from the tribe of Judah, led by Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, came to Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb said to Joshua, Remember what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, about you and me when we were at Kadesh Barnea? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land of Canaan. I returned and gave an honest report, but my brothers who went with me frightened the people from entering the promised land. For my part, I wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. To which Joshua could have said, yes, I know, I was there, I did too. Those are good times, right? So Caleb continues, so, so that day Moses solemnly promised me the land of Canaan on which you were just walking will be your grant of land that you and that of your descendants forever because you wholeheartedly follow the Lord my God. And then he continues in verse 10, now as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well as he promised for all of these 45 years since Moses made this promise. Even while Israel wandered in the wilderness, today I'm 85 years old. Now, just for the, you know, those of us that nerd out, you know, 
and the details. I know some of us don't care. But here's the thing. It's interesting. It kind of gives us a time frame of what's been happening. Because what we see is that we know that he was, Caleb was 40 when he first went in to spy out the land. That they wandered for 40 more years. And then they've come into the promised land and they've had to face these battles that we've just been reading about or kind of skipping over some of them. And apparently, according to his age here, that whole thing took five more years. So for five years, they've been in the land of Canaan facing all the conflict and overcoming all the obstacles. And now Caleb comes to Joshua and says, I'm now 85 years old. And he says this in verse 11, I am as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey, and I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. Now, if you're anywhere near that age, and you don't feel that strong, and that's like, wow, don't get discouraged, okay? Remember, they lived a little bit longer back then. Moses lived to be 120 and died in his strength still. Just It was time to go. Um, remember, ever since the flood, we discussed this before, ever since the flood, Life had been tending to be shortened over time, but people were still living longer at this season than we are now. Joshua would live to be 110. Um, so, you know, this is not all, I mean, lifespan has changed over the years. It seems to be lengthening a little bit now, again, than it was a number of decades ago. But, so, so 85 then is not like 85 now. But even so, 85 then is still pretty old. Okay. He's like, I'm as strong as I ever was. I can do anything, and I think he was sincere. Now, I have been, I have fooled myself before and said things as I've neared 50, like, you know, I'm a, I could do the same things I did as I was a kid, and then I tried them and thought, oh, wow, my, my brain didn't catch up to my body, apparently, you know, or my, vice versa, I guess. You know, so, but, but Caleb sincerely says, I got this still. God has strengthened me all through those years and kept you and me alive to come into this promised land because we trusted him. And I am as strong now as I ever was at 85, it's pretty remarkable. And he says in verse 12, so, this is the whole point, so, give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You'll remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak living there in great walled towns. Now we did mention them, but let me just refresh our memory. These were people who were considered, they call them giants, because they were bigger than most people. Not, not like, like Jack and the Beanstalk or Giants in a movie, that, you, know, these, you know, whatever, but like just bigger people, like nine feet tall, just bigger, tougher people. I mean, like a, that big bully that was just bigger than you and scares you. These are just giants. And they, and they were stronger and bigger, and they built stronger weapons and stronger defenses and stronger cities. And everyone, in fact, one of the biggest things that scared the previous generation off from going into Canaan was these cities right here with these big people. And, and Caleb's like, I want them. I want to take that one on right there. He says, if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land, just as the Lord said. We got this. Let's, let's go. You're 85 years old, Caleb. You've done enough. Nope. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, let's, I'm going forward. I love that. I, hope, I, I don't know. I don't know how long I'll live, but I hope it's, you, you can still be swinging, swinging the um, sword or the hammer hard. As time goes on, he's like, let me go. I'm going to go as long as I can. We'll take that area. So verse 13, Joshua blessed Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and gave Hebron to him as his portion of land. That's the name they changed it to. And Hebron still belongs to the descendants of Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, because he wholeheartedly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. I wanted to bring that story up to close that loop. I wanted you to see how it all ends up for Caleb, 
not just for Joshua. Anyhow, Joshua would later on reach the end of his leadership. Not the end of his life, but the end of his leadership. You see, at some point, unlike Moses who died in the saddle, Joshua got to a point where his job of leading them into the land of Canaan and through the fighting, let me make this plain. If you read the Bible through, you'll see this. There were still enemies around them. There would be other hostile nations still nearby. There would be future battles that they have to contend with and future problems. But for the most part, they had come into the promised land and they had settled down. They had built their cities or occupied cities or they, they built their houses and they planted their vineyards and their crops and they moved in their cattle. And so they were finally settled. And Joshua, who largely led them in the military end, was done leading them. So he's going to kind of go back to finish his years off. He's going to hang up the cleats. He's going to go over and take care of his homestead, right? Like everybody else. But he's going to give them some final words. He's going to give them some final instructions on how to go on without his leadership, just like he had to do without Moses. And if you were to read the last few chapters and we could summarize, Joshua basically says, I've lived to, look, our, our, your parents, our parents, your, the previous generation that I, I was raised in, they wouldn't trust God. They wouldn't come in. But you did. And here's what Joshua was saying. I've lived to see the victories that they died believing were impossible. But I've lived to see them. It's not because I'm special it's because I followed God and he thought I was special, apparently enough to trust me with the role he gave me. And I chose to believe that he could do it. And I've lived to see the evidence of that. And here's what I could tell you if I could summarize. Joshua's like, a life following God is not without hardship, but is without regrets. That from the time that Joshua was young and in the mountain with Moses or in the tabernacle, staying behind in the presence of God as he left or leading them in battle or stepping into the land of Canaan and trusting God when no one else did or leading the people when Moses died, it was never easy. There was a lot of struggle and there was a lot of battles. But he exemplifies that a life following God is not without hardship. Don't think that. Don't think some prosperity gospel idea that if you follow God, it's easy and everything goes your way, and everyone smiles at you, and everyone bows to your will, and everything is, is puppies and sunshine. A life following God is not without hardships. We live in a broken, sinful world, and we're part of it. And life can struggle, and life can be challenging. Sometimes God calls us into challenges. But a life following God is not without hardship, but it is without regrets. It could, it could be a thing where at the end you look back and say, I don't regret it. Not because there are no regrets in life. You look back in life, we all can micro in on the moments where we have regrets. We all do. No one's perfect. Maybe we have big stumbles, but even when we, we, we misstep or fall, part of the journey of following God is getting back up and trusting that there's a future beyond failure and falling. And when we look back at the, not the micro details necessarily, but the macro picture of a life that trusts God and follows God, you look back and see it's, it had its hardships but there are no regrets. We get to look back one day and either say, I'm glad I did or I wish I had. And Joshua exemplifies a life that faced the battles, trusted God, and finished well. And his closing words as a leader before he hangs up the cleats 
and returns to the homestead. His closing words as a leader are found in Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15. Joshua says to the people, so fear the Lord. When he says fear the Lord, he doesn't mean like, oh no, God, I'm so scared. He means have a healthy respect for who God is, right? Fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they were beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord alone. And then the famous verse, probably the most famous verse, we'll look at it in two pieces. He says in verse 15, but, but, if you refuse to serve the Lord, it's up to you. It's your call. If you refuse to serve the Lord, then, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors that served on the, on the, beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose lands you now live? Come on, will it be the place where they learned through their, their sick idolatry to, to sacrifice their children and to live vulgar, vile, wicked lives and, and decimate their national health and, and weave themselves so bad that we just came in here and there's nothing to stand against us? Is that the path you're going to go down? You can. You're going to worship the sun or the moon or the trees or perhaps the God who made those things. You're going to worship an idol like they did that they made out of their hands out of stone or wood? Or you're going to worship the God who made the stone and the wood and the hands that you used to make your idols? You've got to decide what you're going to believe in. But there's a God overall. There's a monotheistic God over everything, a maker of all things, who has led us all this way and has showed himself strong. You decide. What are you going to do? You can refuse to serve the Lord. That's up to you. But then choose your path. What's it going to be? And then Joshua adds this phrase, and this is a phrase that we ought to take with us. It's so, so good. He says, but as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Can't control what you're going to choose to do. I, I, did, I led you. When I was leading you, I said, here's what we're going to do. But now it's time for me to retire from that role and, and spend my days over here. And so you decide what you're going to do from here on out. I can't control that. But here's what I'm going to do. As for me and my family, we'll serve the Lord. Boy, I tell you, what a healthy way to live in the world we live in. What a healthy way to approach everything in culture is to be able to say, when I have a, a, an area of authority, I will lead it the way I'm supposed to, and I will lead those within my area of authority the way I'm supposed to. But those outside, I, I'm going to say, you choose what you're going to do. I can't control that. But as for me, as for mine, here's what we're going to do. I, I feel like that would be so refreshing. We live in a world where people in general, sadly including people of faith, spend all their time worked up and angry about culture and people and it's all people are wrong and they're living wrong and people are doing church wrong and everything's wrong and I tell you against I'm just all, all upset about everybody else all the time. Randy's all going to hell in a handbasket, whatever that means, you know, we're just all angry and worked up all the time. And it's like, you know, here's the deal. That's not new. That's not new. Did you read the stories the last few weeks we've been studying? It's been bad a long time. And wait till we get to the book after Joshua. It's going to be like a real, like, shocker, you know? I mean, the world has been crazy for a long time. So we can spend all of our time lamenting how terrible things are and worse than ever and get sort of by the, the fervor and the news cycles and the politics and the, everything else and church and faith world, whatever you want to be, you can do that. Be angry and miserable and bitter and let everyone know that you hate them and they hate everything around you because a lot of folks are doing that today in the name of God. Or you can say, I can't control what you choose to do. That's the way the world's always been. 
You get to pick. And if you're not in my area of authority, then you decide what you're gonna, how you're going to live and what you're going to believe. That's okay. That's between you and your maker. But as for me, as for my family, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And that works, by the way, when our families grow up. That works when our kids grow up. Because part of our area of authority when our kids are growing up is our kids, until they're not anymore. And this, this will carry with you when, like Joshua, who was in charge of the people until he wasn't, when you're in charge of raising your kids and you can tell them what to wear and what not to wear and where to go and what not to go and, and, and they're little and you can instruct them and you have rules and you have examples, you can tell them why we do what we do. But at some point they grow up and they get to make their own decisions. Those discipline years of one to five and those training years, five to 12, and those coaching years, 13 to 18, and are gone and you're into the friendship. They're adults now. And at some point your, your cleats are hung up as far as the parent who says what you, what you have to do and what you can and cannot do. And I've watched a lot of people, including people of faith, who blow up that relationship so easily because they're so frustrated. I wouldn't do that. You shouldn't do And just blow it up. Here's the thing. At some point, when we, we, we hang up our hat and put a different one on and say, you know what? you got to decide from here what you're going to do. Even when my kids, I've got two, two of my kids got married last year. I have one more. They're all on vacation. Even my youngest one is with them. Michelle and I became empty nesters for a day until our, our baby is back, and then we have a couple more years. You know, it's, it's going by fast. And my married kids, they have their own journeys to take, and so do yours, and I'm proud of them. But here's the deal. I don't know that I'll always agree with every decision they make. I know that we don't, all, most of us don't. Sometimes they make horrible decisions. Sometimes they make just different ones than we would make, and we make them horrible because we have control. But here's the deal. When those days come, our hat's different. And all we can, we can either blow up that relationship like we do with everything else in culture, you know, yelling at the clouds, get off my lawn, everyone's wrong but me. Or we can sit there and say, you choose what you're going to do. I've done my best when I was involved more to show you and teach you and model and instruct, but now you choose what you're going to do. And I can't control that, and I'm not going to be at war. I'm not going to destroy our relationship. But what I'm going to do as for me, as for us, if we're still a couple together, or maybe I'm by myself, as for me, I'm going to serve the Lord. And I think for some of us, it would just it would take our blood pressure down a notch. Probably he'd do some healing to a lot of things if it's, maybe undo some damage potentially. If we can just look at grown children, neighbors, coworkers, and the world in general, and just stop and say, just breathe a little bit. And say, look, you got to decide what you're going to do. And I can be loving. And I can be a good neighbor and a good family member and a good friend. But, but, but I can't be your God. And I can't control your life. But as for me, as for me and my family, as for me and my house, as for myself, I'm just going to serve the Lord. That's all you can do. You can give someone an example that they can learn from and come to or come back to someday. Or stick with or whatever along the way. But you and I would all benefit from Joshua's last words. Someone's ought to write that down. Take it with us. Put it somewhere important. As for me, as for me and my family, as for me and the things that I have control over, I'm just going to serve the Lord. And I have found, and I'm belaboring this more than I did last hour. I don't know why. Maybe God's just making me do it. I don't know. But I have found that I have enough to say grace over <laughs> at 13419. Parish Avenue and 8511 West 139th Court. 
my house and my ministry. To now we're about everyone else's. Neither do you. As for me, as for me and mine, we'll serve the Lord. I gotta wrap this up, I'm sorry. Moving on. We're done with Joshua. We're gonna come back to the story of Joshua, not to talk about Joshua. He's done. Sorry, Joshua, you got one week, buddy. But we have one story we skipped that's really interesting. I think it's going to be encouraging to you. We'll come back to it another time. But for today, as we wrap up, I want to remind you of what we said along the way. And, and if God is speaking to your heart and your journey, take something with you. I want to remind you as we go that, 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 that to be strong and courageous because God is with you. If you're following the Lord, if, you, if, if God placed you where he's placed you, if he's put you where you are with who you are, that, that's where he wants you, then, then trust him. If it's hard to do the right thing, do it anyhow. Be strong, be courageous because God is with you. I want to remind you that God promises the victory, but it still has to be won. One battle at a time. And that a life Following God is not without hardship, but it is without regrets. And so today, as for me and my house, as for me, I'll serve the Lord.